Hello, this is Dr. Jeff Gold, and I'm the Chancellor of the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And I wanna welcome you to Healthcare Heart to Heart, providing insights into the medical and the scientific issues of the day. And as you may know, I'm a recovering cardiothoracic surgeon, a longtime medical educator, and a firm believer in the ability of science to change lives for the better. Our guest is Dr. Atul Grover. And Dr. Grover and I have known each other for a very long time. And your current role at the AAMC, as I understand it, is the executive director uh, for the Research and Action That's Institute. Right. Is yeah. that right? That's right. And, uh, and what does that mean, Atul? So uh, it is a... I should know, but I don't. No, no, that's fine. It's, it's relatively new in terms of the AAMC's 150-year-plus history. We've only had this institute for just over two years now. And it's our version of a think tank, uh, really trying to look at some of the intractable problems that you deal with here on the ground or through your policy work in Washington or, or here in the state. Uh, and, you know, historically, the AAMC has really focused on things that were urgent, uh, on fire, kind of right now. No shortage of those. No shortage of those, right? But we didn't necessarily have the extra bandwidth to think about, okay, how do we, how do we really work on some of the long-term issues like cost and access, uh, things that come up uh, recurrently in, in our history, like access to mental health care. And so this was really an attempt to try and figure out if we could bring some of the expertise to bear in longer term thinking about how to deal with some of these problems. And, and the hope is that it's really a, a matrixed organization across the AAMC and the hundreds of experts that we have, but then also bringing people like you into the conversation to say, you know, how does this really work on the ground? outside of Washington, D.C., and, and what's realistic to achieve uh, in the next, you know, couple of years. Super. And as I understand it, it's really uh, an academic pursuit. It is a much more academic pursuit, but I, I like to think about it as a, as a think and do tank. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the benefits of having been around for so long and, mm -hmm. and getting to know each other over the years as we have is that I, I've had the opportunity to spend time both working with and within academic health centers. And so understand how physicians and hospitals and health systems work, uh, but also have worked in the federal government for, you know, off and on for decades sure. and really understand how policy works. And, you know, I'm an academic. I still maintain my academic appointments at mm -hmm. schools of public health and medicine. And so I, I hope to bring a, a unique perspective that really talks in simple English about the trade-offs that we have to make when we want to achieve uh, new policy solutions to things and to really you know, be honest with the American people and policymakers about the hard decisions that have to be made and, and you know, where, where some of that's going to hurt, but where some of it's going to really help us achieve longer lasting health uh, into, into the coming decades. Well, kudos to you. And, Thanks. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Dr. Scorton for having the vision to work with you to address some of these critical long-term issues because, uh, you know, everybody keeps saying that the current healthcare system or systems are non-sustainable. You know, Here we are. But operational solutions yeah. are, are not really readily available. Right. And, and I think part of the challenge is, you know, we... You're, you're a surgeon by training, and um, but you've learned how to be an administrator in a healthcare system, but hopefully have 
the understanding of what it's like to deal with with patients and you know the real life intricacies of healthcare. It's a heavily regulated industry. It's one where there's a huge imbalance of information between us as clinicians and mm -hmm. and patients and the public. But you know it's too easy for economists to say, "Well, you're just inefficient." Well. I'd like the economist to come here and, and yeah, go to the operating room. Yeah, we just just run days. the medical yeah. center for a couple of months because I would love for them to show us how we do this more effectively exactly. and more efficiently. So I'm interested in your thoughts about the importance of strategic planning. I think you know one of the challenges that we have is that when we have strategic planning, m most institutions or organizations tend to do this every you know five, ten mm -hmm. years, sometimes longer. Sure. A lot changes in that time, and you know, I I liken this a little bit to the policy world that that I spend a lot of time in, where you know we, we either have our noses right in front of us to deal with a crisis of the day, where we believe that we can think about a problem ten or fifteen years in the future. And the truth is, the conditions on the ground change. And and I think about the first time I came out here to Nebraska to visit you, and I think it was before Ebola, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. Ebola changed things. Now you've got this, you know, huge infrastructure where people are coming from all over the country to come and learn from Nebraska about how to do pandemic preparedness. And yet, as a nation, we still didn't do that great when COVID came along. During COVID, we had MPOX or monkeypox. Mm -hmm. I was not thrilled with the reaction of the U.S. No, government during I mean, that. And our system wasn't either. Yeah. So, you know, I think part of this is figuring out how we we don't just kind of plan for a future in which we hope the best or worst will materialize, but to really do constant course corrections. And, you know, anybody who's an engineer or an architect, it's a lot easier to make these little adjustments as you move forward rather than try to figure out, you know, how you've gone 600 miles off course and try to fix things retrospectively. The challenge that I've seen in most institutions and organizations is that the strategic plan is kind of formulated and tested for some period of time mm -hmm and then kind of abandoned and revisited, right? Because the day-to-day -day work is really critical, particularly if you're in a healthcare environment, right? And so, you know, one of the challenges that I, I think we've always had in thinking about things like um, errors and quality and safety in healthcare is, you know, we hold up the aviation industry as an example. I can ground those planes, right? I can train people on the ground um, you know, we don't often have a full air stop like mm -hmm. we did after after 9/11 or or when uh, you know the uh, FAA had had their problems recently. But yep. you know, we, we can't do that with a healthcare system. If anything, you know, we have to respond on a dime even more intensely, right? Like we did in COVID. We didn't mm -hmm. stop the healthcare system. <laughs> we we said, all right, we've got to do all this stuff right here. And I think um, you know the the challenge for me is is usually easier overcome with uh, good data collection and constant monitoring because I, I think you know if you don't measure it you don't really know how you're doing mm -hmm. and so to me the key is coming up with a solid conceptual framework or, or pathway so you can do a path analysis and say if I'm making a decision about you know what I believe will be best for our patients in Nebraska and in this nation Part of that tracks back to what do I need to do to have not only the best trained and equipped personnel, but the most supported and resilient. And so I think about things like wellness from the standpoint of, I need to be able to track that back to the health of the patient because you know, 
people are going to ask that of you. Why are you doing these things? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's similar with you know diversity and equity and inclusion and uh, mentorship, allyship, sponsorship. I think if you sit down with people and explain the pathway as to why what I'm working on right here is critical to the health of the patient, to the health of the institution, the health of Nebraskans down the line, it's a lot easier to get buy-in. And um, I think we all have to kind of keep revisiting that pathway. It's, it's almost like a clinical pathway mm -hmm. or a you know, uh, biophysical pathway that you need to constantly study, adjust, and measure to say, okay, did we get where we thought we were gonna get? Did we get the results that we thought? How does that affect the next six steps in this path? And that's where I think we, we often fail as organizations is we don't keep collecting the data. We don't adjust to say like, oh, it turns out the data we're collecting is the wrong data, sure. right? And, and I think the openness um, and the, the constant revisiting of these things collectively as a team of people who really have to carry out the vision for uh, the medical center and Nebraska medicine and the university is, is really critical. We are as mission-driven an organization as I have ever been on. I, I've seen that. To be a part yeah. of and uh, care deeply about the communities that we serve. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we define ourselves as, if, as we make decisions, we always ask the question of what's best for the communities that yeah. we serve. And you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, that's also what's best for our faculty, our staff, yeah. our students, for the budget. Uh, Etc. It's it's all about what we can do to serve this community. And, but communicating that to the community and to policymakers and people who help fund, you know, this important work is is really critical. And I think the more that we can be aligned as an enterprise and how we do, because you know, you're, the people in your simulation center and the people who are working in pandemic preparedness and the people who are doing lab research are not the same people in the OR, but if they have a common vision and can articulate that to each other so that the psychiatrist and substance abuse counselors understand why they are just as important as the cardiothoracic surgeons that are in the- In many OR. ways more important. I, I would argue, yes. And, and actually, I think, they support the cardiothoracic surgeons and the patients, right? right. What, what do the surgeons need to be supported and be effective? And I, I think that's where, you know, it's good to have somebody who's a good communicator like you in this position because um, we don't do that uniformly across the country. And, and it's hard because the politics are different and the concerns are different, but we have to get people to understand why we're making the choices we're making. You know, you and I have done a lot of work on defining the role of academic medicine, academic healthcare centers as different from not better or worse, but yeah. as a critically important part of workforce development, of, of course, pushing back the frontiers, of discovery around better diagnosis, better cures, and of course, caring for patients that frankly can't get cared for elsewhere. And how do you think that message is going as we're trying to share that broadly? You know, for the first time that I can remember, um, I've seen more advertisements um, in DC around the country as I travel where people use the word academic medicine or academic health center, academic medical center. And, and that wasn't the case 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, we were reluctant to use that terminology because we thought people just didn't get what that meant. Right. I think there's a little bit of a better understanding of how these pieces fit together. The pandemic I th certainly showed people that, you know, I think about a place like Nebraska where the Department of Public Health is tightly linked 
to the university medical center that your state laboratories are embedded and those pathologists are here mm -hmm. at UNMC. Yeah. I think, and I, I held that example up to people in Washington to say, look, there's a better way to do this stuff. Even where you know we don't have the data systems in place yet, you get a trusted partner, and I think we are trusted partners uh, in in communities. We're anchor institutions, right? We are here to educate and lift up not only from a pure clinical standpoint, but I think from a broader health perspective, the entire community. Because you employ tens of thousands of people, right? right. You're probably the largest or second largest employer, uh, the largest. Yeah, in the state. And and so you have not only an obligation, but an investment and um, a, a real motivation to keep that workforce engaged and healthy and active and producing for each other in the community and for the state of Nebraska and the world. So I think people are beginning to connect a little better the fact that we had, you know, very quick vaccine development and deployment of antiviral uh, medications. Now they got to see how you know, kind of fits and starts of scientific progress and, and how, you know, the, the bad and the ugly. Some of it very ugly, mm -hmm. but I think they, they gained an appreciation for how we operate in this space, bringing discovery and education and training and really the most advanced compassionate clinical care possible to everybody in the community. When you're the only academic health center or you know one of just two mm -hmm. uh in the state we were the primary one i think about all of the you, you know you are the safety net not just for individual patients who may be financially or medically underserved but you are a medical and scientific safety net for all of healthcare mm -hmm. uh, in this region we are. and i think we saw that during covid as well uh and the fact that we were able to scale up where we could find the staff the ability to care for critically ill patients mm -hmm. uh, and do it in a safe way and that you know you keep training people across the country on how to do this effectively and safely um, i think people saw that now you know we've got to get back to some of the other problems like you know inequities and in care and the fact that we i still don't quite understand why we have such uh, maternal and infant mortality rates in this country um, but other stuff we can figure out and uh, we just need to keep working on it you know, one of the biggest challenges we face here uh, in Nebraska is the incredible challenges of rural health care. Uh, we're a 500-mile-wide state, but we have uh, counties that, and, and cities and small towns that have just a couple hundred uh, people. As a matter of fact, the uh, uh, president of our student government, who you'll meet, uh, comes from a town of under 1,000 people. Uh, it's an amazing story how she uh, got into college and then stayed here and now is about to graduate from our med school. But we have a number of very significant educational uh, and training programs uh, for the rural parts of our state. But do you have any thoughts on, on how that's going to evolve over the future? Because the, the current models, as you say, what got us here, uh, yeah. we're just never going to be able to deliver the breadth and depth of workforce, facilities, diagnostics out in rural America. Every nation just about has this problem. You know, Australia, a country of 30 million people, very spread out. And what we have tried, which is essentially, we've tried to put a family doc on every corner in every neighborhood in every county has not worked. Mm -hmm. We do not have the people to do that. And so I think we need a serious conversation about 
what is the thing that we are trying to provide to people? And sometimes a doctor is going to be the best thing to actually achieve it. But in other cases, you know, we've got infrastructure money there now. We ought to think about how to prioritize health as we lay that last one, two, five miles of broadband fiber. I think, you know, particularly in, in, in the plains and, you know, in, in parts of this country, getting that last bit of that information superhighway to everybody is going to be critical. Now, even if you do that, you got to figure out who's on the other end of that pipeline. I know University of Nebraska Medical Center is on this end. Who's on that end? And I think we need to really be um, willing to experiment with not only the mode of how we communicate with people in those areas, but who on the other end is going to be our eyes, ears, and hands. So maybe it, it's not a family practitioner or a general surgeon. Maybe it's not an NP or a PA. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's an RN that spent you know 10 years in the ED here on a med surge floor. Maybe it's a really fantastic EMT. And then we've got to think about regionalizing systems similar to kind of what we've done with stroke over the years. Mm -hmm. We're not perfect, but we figure out how to, and trauma, right? We have regionalized trauma systems. Yeah, we actually handle 90% Right. of the farming and ranching trauma in the state right on this campus. So we, we know how to do this. The other challenge we have you know, in talking to EMTs in rural communities is you've got one ambulance. If I had to transport to you, mm -hmm. you know, from three hours away, my ambulance is out of commission for the day, right? So how do I deal with these? Very, and, and I think this is the kind, rather than just saying, yeah, we're just going to doctor at work. Well, we should keep working on that stuff. We should keep doing loaner payments. We should keep doing scholarships, keep figuring out how we put campuses out there. Mm -hmm. But let's also think about what we do with the people who are really important to healthcare in this country, who are a lot cheaper and faster to train than you and I. And embrace the technology. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, and this where I really hope we get some more um, civic responsibilities from the uh, uh, all the electronic health record vendors. Right? So think about, you know, there's, there's two or three vendors out there that have 90% of our information, right. right? And we didn't have them at the table to the extent that we needed them for the last public health emergency that's about to end. I think they could be doing a lot more here, right? And And even in places where people are reluctant to share their own personal health information. We do have ways of doing this that are going to be safe and uh, relatively you know, protective of people's individual histories and problems. And I think they need to be at the table too. They need to, to you know, come give something back for all the money we have invested in, whether you as a, an individual medical center or the federal government through their IT infrastructure. Well, sounds like a great set of thoughts and uh and I think it's going to be an exciting discussion. That I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Healthcare Heart to Heart with Dr. Jeff Gold. And until next time, stay healthy.